0: Thinking about today, I was interested to find out uh, what day it is in the church's calendar. Yeah, I I mean, I don't usually uh, concern myself, and I don't think we do uh, generally as to, um, you know, all these sort of uh, saints' days and the like. Uh, The main ones, Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, they have uh, significance, don't they? But as Mike uh, reminded us on Palm Sunday, every day... Is a day to remember, to remember Jesus, our risen Lord and Saviour. But you know there are these days in the calendar. In the Eastern Churches, it's St Thomas's Sunday, uh, and our reading indicates that, doesn't it? Anglicans refer to it as Low Sunday, possibly because of the contrast between the joy and exuberance of Easter Day and a sort of sense of anticlimax. Although some uh, cynics refer to it as empty pew Sunday Um, not so here again the idea being that uh, uh, after sort of filling the church on Easter Sunday not much happens after that until the next festival this is interesting but nothing more um If we've come together this morning with a sense of anticlimax after last Sunday, then that would be really sad, wouldn't it? Because God hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. He's still our risen Lord. Uh, Nothing uh, changes. And we should be here this morning still rejoicing over the resurrection, over Jesus' victory, over death and the grave. So... There we are, low Sunday, but not low for us, I hope. We're going to continue this morning with this um, Easter narrative, with uh, Jesus appearing to the disciples on that first Easter day from the reading that uh, Robin uh, brought us. Um, This is the first day of the week, and just like the early church, we choose to set aside the first day of the week to meet together it doesn't happen in every church these days things have changed, circumstances have changed and in some places it's perhaps more appropriate to meet on another day those of us that are older might sort of regret that really and feel that Sundays are not the Sundays they were when we were younger uh, and I, I'm in that camp of course I uh, I am those of you who know me know very well I'm in that uh, uh, camp but the important thing is the meeting together thing you know if it's uh, on another day we we visited a church some time ago and uh, yeah they had a service on a sunday morning they had two actually but they also had a service on a wednesday afternoon because there was there were older folks in the in the community and it sort of suited them to meet on a wednesday afternoon hey anyway, all of that is uh, by the by except we we have a, a pattern set way back then that we follow now of meeting together on that first day of the week and the disciples met together and in our reading we discover they met together because they were af- afraid they were fearful and they met together behind locked doors there are five recorded appearances of Jesus on that day we have um, his appearance to Mary in the garden in uh, John 20, 11 to 18. Uh, Matthew in 28, 9 to 10 records uh, his meeting with the other women. And then Peter, uh, Luke 24, verse 34, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5 tell us that. Then we have those, a couple on the road to Emmaus. We had the song uh, about um, last week. And then we have this incident here where the Lord met with the disciples in this room, minus Thomas. We might wonder about why they were so afraid. The uh, the women and, and the, the two uh, from Emmaus had already told them of their experience of the risen Jesus. Peter had also seen him. So we might think, well, what was the problem? Why are they so afraid? They, they've they learnt about such a tremendous demonstration of God's power. Why be so fearful? Well, when I thought about this, I thought, well, be careful, Paul. Be careful in your judgments. In our cozy <coughs> Western civilization, our proper British Thus, we don't really have to fear authorities, do we? There's nobody going to take us to task for being here this morning. We're not going to leave in ones or twos that we might not be observed. We, we have glass doors for folks to see what we're up to. There are folks in other parts of the world where that's not the case. Um, and so... We weren't in the disciples' shoes, were we? We hadn't seen the uh, hatred of the chief priests and the elders and the Jewish council in its full force. We hadn't witnessed the might of the Roman army as it oppressed these people and exacted harsh punishments. So we can't judge, can we? Uh, We can only... um, uh, uh, feel for the disciples in the circumstances that they found themselves. But then Jesus appears. He just appears. A locked door, but Jesus is there. Doors and walls don't um, keep him any, anymore, and there he is in the midst of them bringing words of peace. He brings them peace, that's a traditional greeting, of course, but he brings to them his particular. He doesn't rebuke them for hiding away, but he reassures them and speaks of the future when they would receive the Holy Spirit and would go on to preach the gospel of the good news. He was telling them about Acts, really, wasn't he? You know, uh, know, all the things that would uh, take place as the church grew. And here he was setting the scene here with them. It's great, isn't it? It's, uh, it must have been such an experience to have at one point been so low as uh, Jesus' body was in a tomb with a great big rock in the way. And now there he is in the middle, midst of them. and uh, But we've observed that this one disciple, Thomas, or... Um, us the Greek word, the twin, was missing. Now, I really don't want us to uh, spend time speculating where he might have been or what he might have been uh, in doing. The point was, he missed the blessing. Uh, we have to be careful sometimes, don't we when, we, when we read the scriptures, not to sort of see a lesson in everything. I've told you that before, I'm mean, about spiritualizing Abraham's big toe. But I cannot resist here, when I see this, to see a parallel. Sometimes there are circumstances that keep us away from the fellowship, from meeting together, from engaging together in the shared joys of worship, of being in the presence of the Lord, of encouraging one another, of praying together. And when we miss those times, when we're not there, we miss out on the blessings of those times. Now, there are different circumstances. Sometimes that, that's a case not out of choice. Um, but there are times perhaps when we choose to be uh, somewhere else, when our priorities are a little bit skewed, shall I say. I'm not going to say any more because those of you that know me know it's a hobby horse of mine, so I'm going to resist now except to say he wasn't there and he missed the blessing. If you're not there, you'll miss the blessing. Point made. So what about Thomas then? John's Gospel is the only one that provides any detail about him. The other writers, the other Gospel writers, include him in the lists of disciples that appear in the the Gospels. Uh, And he's mentioned in Acts 1 as being... Uh, one of the apostles who met together to pray. But it's only John that uh, gives us any idea about this man, uh, Thomas, the twin. In John chapter 11, verse 16, um, this is uh, where Lazarus has died. And Jesus is going to go to Bethany and the disciples try to dissuade him because he would be in danger. And Thomas, in verse 16, says, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest (coughs) of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Uh, John MacArthur, in his book, 12 Ordinary Men, that's a book about the disciples, 12 Ordinary Men, suggests that this shows that Thomas was something of a pessimist. A glass half empty sort of person. He was undoubtedly devoted to the Lord. And he was prepared to die with him. But this sort of reads as if uh, with a sort of fatalism uh, about it. Uh, Thomas was one of a twin, so it did cross my mind that maybe his twin brother was the optimist. And he was the pessimist. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But uh, it suggests that he had something of a pessimistic Nature. He wasn't the most cheerful chap to be around. And then when we move on to John 14, when Jesus is uh, talking to the disciples about his leaving them, and uh, he says to them, you know, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in the Father, believe also in me, and so on, the passage about in my Father's house. Uh, Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? You see, Thomas wanted to be with the Lord. This was a devoted man. The Gospels don't tell us very much about him. We learn a lot about Peter, don't we? Quite a bit about John and so on. Thomas is one of those disciples that gets a few mentions, but they're very significant. This was a man who was devoted to the Lord. He wanted to be with him. And of course in in that response he asks exactly the right question because the Lord was able to say to him and the others, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we read those uh, uh, few references to Thomas we scratch our heads a little bit about the contrast between a man who was ready to die with Jesus who longed to be with Jesus when the other disciples said to him we have seen the Lord he responds unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side I will not believe and this, of course, has earned him the nickname Doubting Thomas. There's a difference, you know, between, I'm sure you do know, it no one takes a bit of thought, between doubt and unbelief. Warren Wearsby, in his uh, uh, commentary on John's Gospel, explains it like this. Doubt says, I cannot believe there are too many problems. Unbelief says, I will not believe unless you give me The evidence I ask for. Perhaps we find it difficult to understand Thomas's reaction, given his own experience of Jesus and the testimony of the disciples. The word for told in verse twenty five means they kept saying to him. They didn't let it rest, you know, they they were um, as you could imagine they would have been, they were enthusiastic about their encounter with the Lord. But it didn't wash with Thomas. I'm sure we all experience that. I certainly do. Sometimes the cares of life crowd in. And we lose sight of the Lord. Our faith is sometimes strong. And other times weak. So it's not for us to judge Thomas. Clearly his character. Perhaps that of the the pessimist. And the circumstances of what had taken place. Had overwhelmed him. And so it became difficult for him to believe without actually seeing the Lord. So we move on to today, if you like, one week later, low Sunday. (laughs) The scene is set. The disciples again are together in the same place. But this time, Thomas is there. Has he learnt the lesson that by removing himself from the others he had lost something. He had missed something. Again the doors are locked and Jesus just appears among them. And this time his attention is focused on Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Believe. Jesus was gentle with Thomas. He was kind with him. I wonder how you and I in a similar situation might have been. Why didn't you believe me? What's wrong with you? Didn't you see enough of me? What about what all the others told you? Why wouldn't you believe them? But no, there was no rebuke for his lack of faith. But he simply was offered the evidence he looked for. And if you read carefully you will see that Thomas didn't reach for the nail prints and the wounded side. He simply said, my Lord and my God. His response was prompted by seeing and hearing the risen Jesus. I think Thomas became a different person from that point on as he acknowledged Jesus as God, but also the one he was going to serve for the rest of of his life do you wonder about that perhaps some of you um, have uh, done what I've done maybe to an even greater depth and have done a little bit of research about Thomas we see he was there at Acts 1 when the uh, apostles were together praying together He's, he's one of the apostles he would have been there at Pentecost and received the Holy Spirit with the others but Nothing else is there. Christian tradition says he was martyred in Chennai in India. What used to be Madras when we had an empire. Um, And there are churches in South India that trace their roots to Thomas. And you can go to a hill in Chennai and his tomb is there. I expect if we knew the real story beyond the tradition we would find a man who was devoted to his Lord, who from that point onwards never ceased to speak of him and had an influence as far away as India. Isn't that tremendous? But the wonderful thing about this story, the thing that I'm sure gripped you as Robin read it, is those words of the Lord after that. Because you have seen me You have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. If you're amongst those who could, like Thomas, respond and say, my Lord and my God, who could sing even the one with the awkward tune, those wonderful songs this morning that speak of a risen Savior and know it to be true in your heart, you're blessed. Or another Bible word for that is happy. But I think blessed means more than that. It means happy, but God gives us things, doesn't he? First of all, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And then he influences our lives if we allow him. So we are amongst those, if we, we, like Thomas, believe, without the evidence of our eyes, as it were, we are amongst those who are blessed. I asked Robin to read to verse 29. But you will know that um, if you had Bibles open, that it goes on, the chapter goes on to verse 31. And 30 and 31 tell us this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So like Thomas, we need to stop doubting and believe. We have the whole of God's word to help us. What are we to believe? That Jesus is God's Son, the promised one. And the result of that belief is eternal life, abundant life. Do you know that song Romans 10 verse 9 is a favourite verse of mine. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. You'll be saved. Saved from the consequences and penalties of sin. Saved to a new and abundant life. And that's what we're in the good of this morning. That's why we have reason, even as I speak to you, to smile. Are you smiling? Are your hearts overflowing at these thoughts this morning? I don't know, when I was younger, I suspect I read this story and thought about Thomas as rather a lightweight, kind of one of the failed disciples. Not a bit of it. He was a real man and he had a real encounter with Jesus. But we too can have those encounters and uh, live that abundant life that he wants us to live. The questions this morning, do I, do you believe? If that's the case, is my life different? focused on serving my saviour rather than self. It's wonderful, isn't it, how the, uh, the Bible ties together. You know that uh, Thomas could say that my Lord and my God. And then Paul, uh, writing to the Romans, say, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It's exactly the same thing, isn't it? So there we are. That's uh, Thomas, St. Thomas, if we uh, want to do that, although we're all saints. Um, And we've seen from that story that the resurrection is a fundamental of our faith. We thought about that last week very much, didn't we? And we've sung these songs this morning. This is what we believe. And so as we come to a time of communion this morning, I want us to have that in mind, that the person in whom we believe is a living saviour. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, makes this very clear. I've just picked out some highlights here to lead us into uh, our time of communion. This is what he says is in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one, it says here, abnormally born. I think in the authorised version he says born out of time, which might be a better uh, description. And then in verses 17 to 19, he says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. For if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And again in the AV, it says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men... And women, most miserable. But that's not the case, is it? The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. And as we come to this time of communion, we are reminded of Jesus' death and the manner of it. That he was mocked, beaten, whipped, and crucified. That his body was broken and he bled for us. Remember Psalm 22. He gave His life that we might have life. But we have a risen Savior, whom we come to remember, not a dead one whom we come to mourn. This isn't a um, memorial, a funeral service this morning. John, I went to a funeral in the in the week. It was a humanist funeral. Very little. There was no hope. It's a quite a difficult thing. Sad. But we have a risen Saviour who we've come to remember. We're not miserable because the Lord is risen. It's a simple meal and yet it's a feast. It's solemn. But as we share it together, we look forward to a time of real joy, to a heavenly banquet with the Lord. So we're going to um, uh, share and commune together now. Before that, we're going to sing the song, O to See.